David, a man after God's own heart, part 16. And the title of this morning's message is Restoring Cripples from 2 Samuel chapter 9 verses 1 to 13. Now last week we saw how David was overwhelmed by God's promises to him. This was simply amazing grace and all that David could do was respond in prayer and praise to God. Yet a grateful heart will not hoard God's blessings but will be generous so that it spreads to others who need it as well. And David did that. So this morning we look at just how David applied this in his life. The the, the story before us has some uncanny spiritual parallels that uh, are, are there for us in the life of Christ and just what he did for us. And, and it's going to be a challenge for us as Christians. So uh, please follow us this morning uh, in each of the steps that we, we look at at just God's rescue plan and what he did for us in Christ. We start, first of all, with a position of honour. A position of honour. Mephibosheth was born into royalty. He was the, the, the king's grandson and the son of heir apparent, Jonathan. He was born in a privileged position and, and brought up in, in regal splendour at the palace. He had everything that a, a little boy could possibly need or want. He had servants and uh, nannies at his beck and call. And all of this up to the tender age of five. He didn't have the dilemma of figuring out, out, uh, even at that early stage, what uh, his career was going to be. Not that he would think much about it, but the whole of his future was pretty much laid out for him. You can just imagine the paparazzi camping outside his mansion trying to get a pic of the young prince. The same way that, uh, I suppose, today they follow Prince William and now his his son George. Because we are talking about the potential future king. Now last week David asked, who am I? As he pondered how much he was truly blessed and honoured by God. Now in the magnificent prayer that he uh, psalm that he, that he wrote, Psalm 8, he expands that question a little further from himself and he expands it to the rest of humanity. He asked, before he asked, who am I? But in Psalm 8, he asked, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crown them with glory and honour. That's from Psalm 8, verses 5 to 6. And and we can see here in, in, in Psalm 8 how David goes back all the way, all the way to the act of creation, where in Genesis it describes for us what a privileged position we had before God. We had it all in every conceivable way, But then something happened. And that's where we get the fall. 
In chapter 4, verse 4 of 2 Samuel, it describes for us what happened to Mephibosheth. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled. His name was Mephibosheth. Now when Mephibosheth was only five years old, things took a a tragic turn for the worse. Uh, These were as a result of the the, the dramatic developments on the battlefield where the, the Israelite army was getting slaughtered at Jezreel by the Philistines. And news came in that dad and grandpa and uh, some of the uncles had been killed in battle. The guards are screaming, you must leave at once. Soon the kingdom was to be ruled by another. And the customs in those, in those times was that when somebody took over the kingdom, they would purge all who belonged to the former dynasty. No one was to be left alive. And because there had been a long period of this protracted war between the house of Saul and the house of David, no one, I suppose, in the land would have been surprised if if David decided to go after anyone who was left from Saul's dynasty. But as we know, David and his kingdom were very different to any other. And that's, again, one of the reasons why he is described as a man after God's own heart. So his nanny wasn't going to wait around to to see what would happen to the child in her care. So she picks up the infant and begins to, to run to protect his life. Now in her desperation she trips and Mephibosheth falls from her arms. Both of his legs are broken because of the fall And there was no time to stop and and, and seek medical help, you know, and and try and somehow mend the fracture. She simply picks up the screaming infant and continues to run and run and hide for days and weeks somewhere to just survive. The bones, as a result, are never straightened, and as a result, Mephibosheth will never be able to walk again. Now what a tragic set of circumstances for an infant, a five-year-old, to have to endure. He lost his family, he lost his home, his future, and lost movement in his legs. He finds himself an orphan, a refugee, and now crippled for life. It's not as if he did anything wrong to, at that tender age to deserve all of this. He was simply the terrible victim of circumstance. Through no fault of his own, his world would be turned upside down and it was turned upside down overnight. The good thing is that children are, are more resilient than adults in this regard because uh, they learn to adjust a lot quicker and of course if they 
same circumstances happen to somebody who is an adult, that will be a lot more difficult. Uh, As we know, adults uh, tend to pay a high price to climb the ladder of success to, to reach the top and then if they get knocked over from the top, it's almost, they, they find it almost impossible to deal with it because it's suddenly you've lost it or everything is taken from you. It tends to happen in bankruptcy and, and things like that. You know, you, as they say, you go in the blink of an eye, you go from the silver spoon to the wooden spoon. And in much the same way, humanity is crippled because of the fall of Adam. What is so so? You're probably asking, what is so bad about eating the forbidden fruit? Doesn't seem to be all that, you know, all that bad. I'm not hurting anyone. It's just a fruit. Yet this act unleashed, as we know, a, a chain reaction of sin and destruction in our world. Uh, you might have heard the expression crippling effects to refer to things like the economy or when bad decisions are made that have far-reaching consequences. And in many ways, we are crippled by sin. We cannot stand on our own two feet. By all standards, we become dependent on someone else to help us. Physically speaking, we all face pain and sickness and death. This is the reality of a fallen world. And spiritually speaking, we cannot make ourselves righteous. We cannot, on our own two feet, stand up before God. We cannot approach him if if we had to depend on our own. Now, the third thing is the exile. Somehow, Mephibosheth and the nanny managed to flee with their lives. But where would they go to? Where would they escape to? In one moment, living it up in the palace and the next, living it up as refugees in exile. They finally find safe haven in a place called Lodabar, which is translated no pasture and also no thing. It's not a very pretty place, it would appear. It is barren, a bleak wilderness area. But at least he's safe and is provided for by a generous man. Now, I wonder how many times Mephibosheth, as he was growing up, looked out the window at the barrenness surrounding him and thought about how his life has turned out the way it was and and he's now in survival mode rather than, you know, in, in, in luxury of the palace. How the tables have turned. Not that long ago, Saul was the one who was hunting down David. For years this went on and on, and David was the one who was hiding in caves and in the wilderness, always living on the run in exile. And it was actually Mephibosheth's dad, Jonathan, who helped David a few times during this time. And this is what David wrote in one of his Psalms, Psalm 63 which reads with the, we need to read it with the inscription. It says, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. 
my whole being longed for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. wonder if, if we can, in our current circumstances, relate to that somewhat. Good thing for David is that he knew where, where to draw strength, where to draw from that life-giving water to sustain him. This is why he, he needed God. This is where, despite the fact that there was no water, he was continually, all his needs were supplied for. Even though he was in survival mode, he was cared for. Next, the search in verses 3 to 4. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. And Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amil in Lodabar. Now many years have passed and David's He's established, he is established on the throne. Things are going pretty well for him, and yet something is not quite right. Remember a couple of weeks ago, something was not quite right. The difference between the palace and the house of God, he felt uncomfortable about that. Now suddenly, in chapter 9, we, we have another uncomfortable situation for him. He's thinking his, these thoughts come to him. What is, what is happening? He's thinking back to the way things were before they got so crazy as well. So King David asked a question that would have seemed, I suppose, pretty random at the time. Uh, he, he doesn't look for somebody who is, for is worthy or, or, or qualified, but he's looking for anyone. It's, it's a pretty broad invitation that he's, that he's doing, that he's making. And the servant told him that there was indeed a survivor, the son of his now deceased best friend, Jonathan. Now, as we know, Jonathan and David were pretty close. And Jonathan had foreseen this day when David would reign over all of Israel. So he, he made this request in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 14 to 15. Now, remember, this is Jonathan saying to David, But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed, and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Now, this word translated kindness is the word hesed, which is a very important word. And it appears here in this chapter, it appears in verse 1, in verse 3, and in verse 7. It is the devoted love promised within a kindness, inside a covenant of God. That's what kindness is. So when David here mentions hesed, he's recalling that sacred covenant, that sacred commitment between Jonathan and David. And as a result of remembering that, recalling that moment, recalling that promise, 
He, therefore, that kicks off that rescue mission because he's, he has to fulfill that promise that he made to his best mate. And therefore, a rescue operation ensued. And King David went out of his way to, to seek out his best friend's long-lost son. Now we come to the fear. Pretty sure that the young man, where he was, he really didn't want to be found, right? He lived all his life probably in fear. Um, everybody around him would have said to him, look, just lay low. This is the situation now. So it must have been terrifying for him to be, you know, to see people turn up at his, at his house and then to be taken from his carer in, 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 and the people around him in Lodabar and brought all the way to Jerusalem to, to the king who was his grandfather's bitter enemy. Fortunately for Mephibosheth, he sought him out not to kill him, but for his own good. But the young man wasn't to know about this because, you know, he lived in fear for most of his life. So fear would have pretty much, was a characteristic, something he grew up with. There's a lot of people out there living in fear for most of their lives. They seem to be they seem to be adjusted to this, to, to be living anxious lives each and every day. It's not a very good way to live, is it? Now, David understands, understood the, the human condition better than most. And, and this is from divine revelation. It's from his observation, looking at human behaviour. But David understood the human condition also from personal experience. And, and this is what he writes in Psalm 14, verses 1 to 3. He says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile, and there is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven and on all of mankind to see if there is anyone who, who understands, any who seek God. And then he says, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And those verses would have seemed familiar if you read Romans, in Romans chapter 3. This is what the Apostle Paul quotes. Because why? Because people in and of themselves, they do not seek after God. Sure, we do seek things. We seek things like fulfilment and riches and pleasure. We seek escape from pain. But when it comes to God, no. Because no one naturally seeks God unless God through his spirit, stirs us up to seek after him. God has to seek us. And Jesus gave this as his mission statement in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's what Jesus said. The Son of Man came to seek, not only to seek, 
but to save the lost. What about the restoration, verses 7 to 8? Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? David, knowing what Mephibosheth must have been feeling, must have said that, you know, how frightened he was, the fear in his eyes, he reassures him with these words, do not fear. In turn, Mephibosheth bows down at David's feet and expresses just just where his own self-esteem was at when he says, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Years earlier, years earlier, David also likened himself to a dead dog. And that was in the context of being pursued by Mephibosheth's granddad, King Saul. So David, more than anyone, understood what insignificance and powerlessness was like because he had been there, done that. But things would soon turn quickly for the better. Not just for David, but now for Mephibosheth as well. Not only does David pluck him from the wilderness, he restores to him all the land that once belonged to his grandfather. He gives him servants to farm it, because obviously he he wouldn't be able to do it anyway. And Ziva and his sons were commanded to till his fields for him so that he is provided for. I like the words of Chuck Swindoll who wrote, Once Mephibosheth was clothed in the the rags of obscurity and fear. Now he is draped in the garments of honour and security. End of quote. Please note that David showed kindness to Mephibosheth not for his own sake, not for anything that Mephibosheth has done to deserve it, He did it for Jonathan's sake. And this promised commitment was done way before Mephibosheth was born. And his love for Jonathan extended through the generations to Jonathan's descendants because of the very covenant he made with Jonathan all those years ago. In a similar but certainly more dramatic way, God's love for us is for his son's sake. We don't have to earn his love because we already have his love through the son. God's love was given freely to us in the name of his son. We are fully acceptable to God purely because We belong to his son, Jesus Christ. This is what we read in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 to 6, which was our first reading this morning. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless 
in his sight. In love, get that word, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To what? To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one, in the one who is the one, that is Jesus, in the one he loves. Back to Mephibosheth. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. That's in verse 11. Notice here how King David told Mephibosheth that he was to be treated like one of his sons. He wasn't going to be one of the, you know, he thought he was a dog, like a dead dog, in fact. One of the domestic animals, no, that's what he might have felt like. But David says, no, mate, you're coming, you're going to eat with me, with the rest of the family here. You know, Jesus also didn't just come seek us, rescue us, he restored us. He, in fact, has also set us, given us a place at his banquet table. Your place at the table was secured at the cost of the blood of the lamb that was slain. We have been found, we have been accepted, restored to a position as one of the king's sons. And this is the promise to all of those who have trusted Jesus Christ in John 1.12. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Isn't that an amazing promise, right? At that time, it's interesting that in, in, in David's time, all of those who were physically handicapped were considered cursed by the gods. And I suppose even today, in many parts of the world, that is still the case. The author ends in, in, at the end of chapter, chapter 9, in verse 13, the author ends the story by reminding us of the condition of Mephibosheth and he was crippled in both feet, which is a very interesting way. Why would he mention that fact again? Yeah, I know, you've said that throughout the whole chapter and now you're saying it again. Because he's, he's saying us, this is what he, what he was, his, his feet were still mangled, they were still crippled. Nevertheless, he was now accepted, he wasn't cursed, he was blessed to be able to eat at the table of the king. How wonderful to see King David rescue this former prince, now a cripple, and, and, and welcome him into his palace. He was welcomed, not excluded. He was honoured, not despised. And his glorious descendant, Jesus, would do likewise as he was, as he was the ultimate fulfilment of the promises of God. He told a parable where, of the great banquet 
where he says, go, go to the streets and, and gather the crippled, the lame, and bring them, bring them to the banquet table. And in Matthew chapter 15, verse 30, large crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they laid him at his seat, and he healed them. Finally, I want to end with this, something else worth pondering. When you are at the table, you know what? No one is looking at your feet. Mephibosheth's uh, crippled feet were under the table, as it were. And because of what Christ did, our sin has been dealt with and it is now under the table. We are covered. We actually don't see our brokenness anymore. And just like Mephibosheth was an equal with the rest of the royal family, we have been invited to be part of the great wedding banquet. Our invitation is from the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and our place is there because of his amazing grace. What a wonderful God and Saviour we have. Amen.